The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Your host is Rochelle McLaughlin. It's time to experience radical well-being. Learn to nourish your heart, body, and mind. Manifest your power in the present. And learn to live your life's infinite potential. Now, here's your host, Rochelle McLaughlin. My beautiful mother-in-law once told me of a very wise practice. She said, Rochelle, don't believe your own propaganda. Thankfully, at the time she told me this, I was beginning the journey of developing mindful awareness in my life, and I recognized I was living my life based upon all kinds of propaganda that was handed to me surreptitiously by parents, caregivers, teachers, ministers, politicians, and the media, to name a few. And some of the most insidious and dysfunctional propaganda that I was perpetuating in my life related to food and my relationship to it. And my guest today, Jessica Prentice, and with her book, Full Moon Feast, Food and the Hunger for Connection, came into my life at a time when I was malnourished, disconnected, and illiterate to what my body, mind, and spirit needed in order to thrive. Jessica's book invited me to consider my own relationship to food. It opened me to the fact that I exist in a web of interconnectedness. It gave me a nourishing, embodied sense of my body's rhythms as a mirror of nature's rhythms. It connected me to the core of the truth of who I am, deeply connected to life itself. I had many aha moments and moments of profound inspiration while reading Full Moon Feast, and I'm thrilled to have Jessica here today with me to share her empowering, sacred, and deeply healing message with you. Jessica Prentice is a professional chef, author, local foods activist, social entrepreneur, and sought-after speaker on issues related to healing our broken food system. Her book, Full Moon Feast, Food and the Hunger for Connection, mythopoetically explores the connections between the environment, human communities, and traditional cycles through food. She is a co-founder of Three Stone Hearth, a community-supported kitchen in Berkeley that uses local, sustainable ingredients to prepare nutrient-dense traditional foods on a community scale. Prentice is also co-creator of the Local Foods Wheel. She coined the word locavore and is a regular contributor to Edible East Bay. Jessica, welcome to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. It is such a pleasure to have you here with us today. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. Jessica, I so appreciate how you share your journey in Full Moon Feast in the beginning of the book because it clearly resonates with my own journey toward healing my relationship to food. And I wonder if you could speak to... Uh, begin by talking about what brought you to writing this beautiful healing book and what brought you to your work as a food activist and social entrepreneur. Well, yeah, it's a similar story, I think, to so many of us where I 
really struggled in my relationship to food a lot throughout my teenage years in particular and well into college. And it was just a source of a lot of pain and shame and um, frustration because there's so much information out there that leads you in so many different directions and you don't know the quote-unquote right way to go and you don't know who to believe and who to trust and what propaganda to follow, as you put it. and so I was really, I was really frustrated, and I was really um, suffering and struggling, and I, I just sort of stuck with it, um, and kept kind of putting one foot in front of the other, and uh, that led me first to Anne Marie Colbin's work, which is well before even Anne Marie Colbin's work. So I had a few essential guides on the way. Um, The Mm -hmm. first, actually, I would say was Kim Chernin, who writes about eating disorders and women and their relationship to food. And that sort of helped me to get some context to realize, okay, I'm not alone in this suffering. There's a lot of people suffering, Mm -hmm. and especially women, and it especially has something to do with being a woman that this suffering happens. And And it's a political and a social issue, not a personal failure, which was a huge shift. So it kind of got me out of my... Um, beating myself up uh, that I wasn't succeeding, you know, in this realm that I was feeling so much, so much of a sense of failure and kind of got me past that paradigm Mm -hmm. to, okay, this is a larger question. This is an important question. And I think that was part of it too, is that I think I had this subtle sense that food wasn't important and it wasn't something that you should actually spend a lot of time thinking about. It was just, um, sort of a necessity that you had to have taken care of so that you could think your big thoughts or do your big work, which would be about something other than food, a kind of prejudice, you know, that food wasn't central and core and profound and meaningful and multi-leveled and uh, all those other things. And so that initial breakthrough then led to Anne-Marie Colbin's work where she was writing more specifically about food and healing and the and, and especially on the physical level, um, how food can help us heal, and that sort of started me on a journey of relating the the physical issues that I was having, the the illnesses. Um, so first, the first piece had kind of been more the psychological issues. Then it also became about the physical issues, and I started to realize that that mattered too. And that what I ate actually had an impact on my physical health. And so I started to get focused on healing that relationship. And she, even though her, her dietary message is somewhat, you know, she's very um, pro vegetarian and even sort of vegan and Mm -hmm. sort of anti-dairy. And, um, but she also left a lot of space for, well, this might not work for you. This has sort of been my path, but it might not work. And she actually tells a story in one of her books about her husband, whose only path to healing had been through meat and steak and him cooking a steak and how <laughs> that actually healed him and uh, was was a good shift for him. And as somebody who had became become a vegetarian when I was 14, that was like, oh, like maybe vegetarianism, vegetarianism doesn't work for everybody. And maybe... Uh, a steak is exactly what I need. And, <laughs> you know, on my own healing journey, that's actually, that was the first meat that I ate after 10 years of vegetarianism What was I had a steak. And, uh-huh. um, and so 
I started to see, and I did start to feel better, like, oh, eating meat actually really helps me. And mm-hmm. so those connections were there. And then I, I had always thought that for my work, I wanted to be a school teacher. And that had been always what I envisioned myself as. And after I moved to the Bay Area, I did um, get myself into a job teaching school. I taught sixth grade for a year on an emergency credential because uh, I speak Spanish mm-hmm. and um, did that for a year. But in the course of that year, I realized that I hated it, that it wasn't what I wanted to do, that I was miserable and that um, it wasn't my life's path as I thought it had was going to be. And mm-hmm. so then I decided the only thing I could do, but I didn't know what my path was. All I knew was it wasn't the the thing I'd always thought it was going to be. Mm -hmm. And so I gave myself some time. I took about six months off um, and I had a little money saved. So um, I just gave myself some time to sort of do this inner journeying. Like, what is it that I want to do with my life? And I used lots of tools and I had lots of guides on that path as well. Mm -hmm. And at the end of that, I realized that what I was really passionate about had always been passionate about and just hadn't thought was important enough to make my life's work was food. And so at that point, I made a decision that I was going to go to cooking school and really pursue this as a professional path. Um, Of course, by that point, I was out of money. So then I had to go back and work for another year to save up some more. And then um, I went to Anne-Marie Colbin's cooking school in New York, which was called The Natural Gourmet. And there was just surrounded by people who thought deeply um, about food and talked about it. And we studied it from a lot of different angles. And that was all really good to just be immersed in a community of people who were interested in the same thing that I was. Mm -hmm. And then I came back to the Bay Area and I started working. Um, I got a job as the chef at the Headland Center for the Arts up in Marin, which was a great great job for me. Gave me a lot of freedom, a lot. I had total creative license to create my own meals. I had a decent budget and I was cooking in one of the most beautiful kitchens in the Bay Area, in one of the most beautiful places in the Bay Area. And I was surrounded by artists who themselves were on an artist residency. And so they were, so there, I was surrounded by a huge amount of sort of searching creative people. Mm -hmm. And that was just a a great place for me to sort of go then to the next level. And it was, uh, it was there that I discovered the nourishing traditions work, which, um, you know, the the work of Sally Fallon Morell, the book nourishing traditions and the research of Weston Price. And all of a sudden, everything that I had experienced on my journey made sense to me through that lens Mm-hmm. And I understood why the meat had been so healing after the vegetarianism. And um, also it just took me to a whole deeper level of appreciation for food processing and food preparation and understanding that how we treat food has a profound impact on how healthful it is to us. Mm-hmm. And so all of that was happening um, at the same time that I was also just exploring and learning a lot about, um, you know, uh, globalization, what was happening economically, what was happening ecologically to our planet. And all of these things just started to be so interconnected in my mind. I couldn't think about it. They were just all, you know, threads in a weaving. And I couldn't think about one without thinking about all the others. Mm-hmm. 
And at that time, I started writing these um, New Moon newsletters. And it was sort of like a proto-blog. There weren't blogs yet, but I would write, um, they were emails that I would send out to a growing list of people, and they would come out on the New Moon, kind of putting all these different levels together. And it was those um, newsletters that eventually became the chapters for the book, Full Moon Feast. Hmm. It's beautiful, Jessica. What a what an amazing journey. There are many things that I'd love to touch on. Um, maybe the first one is about your experience of the nourishing tradition, tr- nourishing traditions lens. Um, can you speak to what that lens is? And um, you were talking about how we treat food and how those those things are connected. Yeah. So it's um, you know on the one level. It, it sort of helped with this problem that I'd always had about, uh, you know, about the propaganda, about who to, who to believe or what to believe about food, because you hear so many confusing, conflicting messages. I mean, if you, if you really didn't eat all the things that people say that you shouldn't eat, there would be nothing left to eat, literally, <laughs> because there's that many conflicting messages out there. And yeah. so that becomes super I mean, I mean, you can see how people end up end up anorexic or end up end up um, orthorexic or whatever with these disorders because it's like there's nothing that's safe to eat is how it starts yeah. to feel, right. and so that work um, first of all gave me a vision of people who had nourished themselves through food successfully for millennia, and I think that was absolutely crucial in terms of my healing to really see that that was possible, that there, mm-hmm. that there is a way to live on this planet nourished and to walk on the planet nourished every day. Yeah. And, and what was fascinating too was that those communities that, that Weston Price studied that, um, that Sally Fallon Morrell pulled the information from were so diverse and were living in so many different parts of the world. And so those landscapes were incredibly varied you mm-hmm. might have, you know, high mountainous plains on the one hand and then, you know, an, an island and uh, seafood on the other and the Arctic on the other and the Andes on the other and the Amazon. You know, some of them were agricultural people. Some of them were hunter-gatherer people. Some of them were pastoral people. So it also taught me that there, that there is no one, <clears throat> one right path, one, one way to be healthy. Mm-hmm. But what was, but the common denominators are what became so fascinating to me. And of course, one of the common denominators was that each of these communities was responding to their particular landscape. They were indigenous. They were of the earth. They were on the earth. And that happened all around the world, including among my ancestors, that people came up with ways to nourish themselves from the landscape where they lived by being in deep communion with it, with the seasons, with the soil, with whatever was there, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that was really important. And then there's the specifics about the common denominators too, all the sort of physiological insights that come out of that as well. Yes, yes, that's beautiful, Jessica. In fact, you have a... I mean, there's many sections in your book that do um, touch on what you just said, but I'd love, before break, I'd love to share one. And you say, our first experience of food is often synonymous with love. We are held, we are fed, and we are cared for all at the same time by our mothers. 
In Hindu tradition, the first rite of passage occurs when a baby reaches six months old, when he or she eats a mouthful of rice, the first food that is not mother's milk. The rice-eating ceremony is celebrated in the presence of a priest, often in a temple with a gathering of relatives, to witness this important transition in the child's life. Mantras and prayers are said. Such a ceremony reflects a worldview where food is sacred, a blessing, and a gift, and being fed is not to be taken for granted. Our culture does doesn't express this worldview. We look at food as fuel, as something we need to keep going, our energizer battery. We view food as a commodity, something that people need to need and so a, a thing that can generate a profit. Of course, food is fuel and it is a commodity, but that is not all it is. And I think that many of my, my teenage struggles with food came as a reaction against the commodification, commercialization, and overall undervaluation of food in our culture. If my grandparents had displayed what is often called depression era mentality. Maybe I displayed an excess era mentality. Maybe all those boxes on the supermarket shelves, the continual bombardment of commercials from TV and the abundance of the food itself played a part in the way I felt about what I ate and what I refused to eat. The excess era mentality that I grew up around along with widespread adulteration of food with preservatives, chemicals, colors, flavors, and textures that originated in a laboratory instead of a kitchen made food feel like something that was tainted, something unclean, fake, and artificial. This is from Jessica Prentice's book, Full Moon Feast, Food and the Hunger for Connection. My guest today is professional chef, author, local foods activist, and social entrepreneur, Jessica Prentice. And you can connect with Jessica and sign up on her mailing list to get updates on threestonehearth.com and at her website, localfoodswheel.com. You can also connect with Three Stone Hearth on Facebook. We will be right back with Jessica Prentice. that you were born to experience revolutionary wellness? Have you wondered why extraordinary physical, mental, and emotional health has eluded you? Do you know that your infinite personal power resides right here in the present moment? People all over the world are awakening to their birthright, revolutionary wellness. Introducing the Experience Revolutionary Wellness Coaching Program. Log on today to begin your journey into the mystery and join our virtual village. The world, now more than ever, needs you to feel revolutionarily well. Explore and integrate new ways of being. Learn to access your own unique treasure, the wisdom that is right there inside you, waiting to be revealed. Experience a renewed, vivid, and nourishing relationship with yourself and the world around you. When you experience revolutionary wellness, you will be the change you wish to see in the world. Log on to experiencerevolutionarywellness.com today and join Rochelle on an adventure into your own unique journey toward revolutionary wellness. You're listening to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Rochelle is an internationally known meditation teacher, clinician of mind and body medicine, lifestyle change, and self-healing. She's an author, speaker, and creator of Experience Revolutionary Wellness Virtual Village. 
If you would like to reach Rochelle, send an email to Rochelle at experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. Again, that's Rochelle at experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. Now back to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Welcome back. Our current approach to growing, processing, and distributing corn is thoroughly lacking in common sense. It is undemocratic, destructive to the environment, disconnected from community, and undermining to our health. Zia maize was held sacred by the indigenous people who bred it over millennia into a staple grain and a sustaining core element of the culture. But we have taken this sacred grain and corrupted it at every level, social, economic, ecological, biological, and spiritual. We have abused a grain that people have in the past treated with the utmost respect as a gift great gift to humankind. This is from Jessica Prentice's book, Full Moon Feast, Food and the Hunger for Connection. You can connect with Jessica and sign up on her mailing list to get updates on threestonehearth.com and her website at localfoodswheel.com. Welcome back, Jessica. Can you you. speak to to this, uh, just what is happening to our food system and where have we gone wrong in our society as it relates to our relationship to food as well? Wow. Well, it's a big question. I know. Um, <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's so many, that has so many layers to it. And I don't know, what I keep coming back to is that the, the system that we're currently operating with, this corporate global, capitalist, um, economic system is, it's, it, it's simply not conducive to nourishing human beings or preserving the planet. You know, it's, 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 it's gotten so big and it's so powerful. I mean, it's almost like we live, we live in an economy rather than living in a society or uh, living in a place or, or, or existing in communities. The, the, the power of the economy over our lives is so, so, so huge. And the, the things about our lives that it controls um, is, is profound. And, and there isn't much space for us to to nourish ourselves to, and to take care of the planet within it. You know, it's, it's, it, it exerts a huge pressure on every level. And so I don't, you know, I don't spend a huge amount of time studying it or understanding it or even fighting against it. Um, (laughs) I spend most of my energy trying to um, create an oasis within it, you know, Mm. um, Mm-hmm. trying to survive within it and trying to create an oasis um, where its its power is mitigated. It's definitely mm-hmm. not eliminated, but it's somewhat mitigated and other values are are um, are held up. So um, you know it, it, I mean we could go into some of the details um, you know that's okay. Yeah, I think we all know. We know what's what, but it's it's um, to me. It really comes down to this feeling that we're you know that what we've built is um, instead of a society, we've built an economy, and that's uh, 
it, 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 it's just, it's leaving us impoverished. You know, it's, you know, the crazy thing is that, that we might have money, some of us, but we're, we're impoverished in terms of so many of our human needs and they just aren't getting met by this system that is so powerful Mm. to us. You say in your book, Jessica, that you have discovered that you of course, are not the only one in this land of plenty who is hungry, deeply hungry. And you have also come to discover that there is actually, there actually is food on earth that will feed our hunger, that will leave us feeling satisfied, well-fed, and blessed. These are your words. Can you describe this kind of food and how is it nourishing? Um, yeah, well, so on one level, it's simply real food, you know, not, um, not coming from a laboratory, factory, fabricated food, like so much of what I grew, grew up with as a child, you know, uh, uh, Cheerios and, you know, all of those types of, all of those types of things. They're not, um, they're not real food. So one level is just anything that you can understand where it comes from or understand how it's made, you can make it or grow it in your home, you know, in your, where you live or close by, that sort of, to me, is what real food is, you know, butter versus margarine. You can go and you can look up online a, a graph that will show you how margarine is made, and it is mind-boggling. But, you know, you can sit there if you're in kindergarten with a jar and some cream and make butter. And that, to me, is, is one of the most crucial distinctions. I often ask the question about any food stuff. Have millions of people eaten it for thousands of years? And if the mm-hmm. answer to that question is yes, then it kind of qualifies as real food. Or, you know, Michael Pollan talks about this in terms of food that your, your great-grandmother would recognize. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's the, you know, the, the sort of most basic level. But then within that, then there's, there's always sort of um, deeper and deeper you can go in terms of rebuilding your relationship to food. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, is is determined by your interests and your time and your energy for, for any of these things. So, for example, we have eight chickens, and the eggs that we've been eating for the past couple of years have all come from our own chickens. And that is something that a lot of urban dwellers are doing now. And because it's, it's relatively straightforward, it's relatively easy, it's, it's super satisfying to, to have that relationship to your food. You know, every evening we go out and we collect the eggs. And actually, my son has us all guess how many eggs every day. We all have to guess. And it's a big competition. (laughs) Who wins? You know, how many eggs? And it's been interesting this year to watch. You know, we haven't yet gotten to the point, which we did last year, where they were laying so few in the winter that we didn't have, we couldn't, didn't have enough eggs from our own chickens. But that hasn't happened. So that's been really exciting and Mm. kind of wondering about that. But, you know, it's just a whole different level of relationship to your eggs than going to the store and buying them in the carton. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but that being said, there's lots of, you know, I don't have a really robust garden. I've grown a few things. I've been growing lettuce. I've got nettles in my garden. You know, I, 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 some things I grow, but then I've signed up for a CSA box. And so every week I get a box from a farm, from a farmer who I've met and talked to. I know his wife and I know what his approaches. I know something about his philosophy and his spirituality. And that box of vegetables carries that relationship with it 
Mm-hmm. And in general, for vegetables, that's my choice. I'm not a big gardener, and I, you know, it's 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 beyond what would give me pleasure or nourish mm-hmm. me on other levels to grow everything. But then I found something that, you know, still keeps me connected to the season. The what's in the box is constantly changing. You know, there were weeks on end we were getting basil and summer squash, and now, you know, we're getting pumpkins and beets and winter greens and cabbage and, um, and so. It keeps me connected, but not in the same way as the eggs, for example. And so mm-hmm. to me, that's just sort of like an, an, an endless um, path that you can walk of connectedness and choices and checking in with yourself to see what makes sense, what, what do I want to do, what, what can I do. And if there's things that we you can't do or don't want to do, of which there's many, 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 then seeking out the relationships, the other purveyors, you know, the baker, you know, most of the bread that I eat comes from a baker that I know and actually is an old friend of mine. And, and so that's, you know, it's his bread. It's, I don't bake my own bread. I don't keep a sourdough. I've done that. And it's just not within my, uh, you know, it's not, it's, it's not within my weekly life to make that, that choice. But so then yeah. it becomes like, how else can you, can you work within your community to to access your food and I certainly buy lots of food at the grocery store too that's you know and and for certain things that's the choice that makes sense um yeah you know so it's a range it's a range of these things yes and you know you've you're touching on this but I wonder if you could speak a little bit more specifically to the the activism aspect of it it's almost as though you know every choice that you are making becomes like a kind of activism and when it's our when it's related to our food and how we're nourishing ourselves and we're nourishing others in the process it feels very sacred and you speak to that in the book um, throughout the book it's so beautifully can you share a bit about that now yeah sure I mean again it's it's layers and levels Um, Mm -hmm. another thing that we've done for a number of years now is that we've been part of a herd share and that's how we get our milk every week and so here you know I'm paying a lot more for milk than I would if I was buying grocery store milk. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I when when we write that check or we give that cash, we're giving it directly to someone who I've also been camping with. I've been to his farm many times. His his sons have played with my son, and it feels like it feels like activism because it feels like I am actively supporting the food system I wish we had. Mm-hmm. And the food system that once upon a time we had, and he, his economic situation is a huge struggle. And occasionally, you know, a couple a month or two ago, he put out a, an, an you know, an email just like, you know, I'm way behind on paying for alfalfa. I'm like, you know, we're really, really, really struggling. And a whole bunch of people in the community kind of came together and donated money and mm-hmm. donated jars and and did all this stuff and supported him. And so. Um, a lot of what I do is those kinds of decisions, you know, and there's places where I don't, you know, don't make those decisions because my resources are limited, but it does mm-hmm. feel like a form of activism to support these farms. And then of course I also do, um, the, you know, the, the sort of, uh, petition signing form of activism. You know, I get lots of, um, uh, petitions on email that I sign and and keep trying to push those issues and and then for me personally the biggest form of activism that I do is is with the business that 
that I've been working with and building for the past 10 years, you know, co-building with, um, with my cooperators. Um, and we're trying to create, you know, a little institution that is an oasis in this food system. And we have to make decisions every single day about how to negotiate our ideals within this economy. So, mm-hmm. um, so, you know, it's, it's multi-leveled, it's everything. And, and, and actually our, my business hosts the cow share and also hosts the CSA box. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's, and, uh, that's something that we're not paid for that we do because we want to live in this kind of food system. So, you know, mm-hmm. we give space to the farmer that drops off the CSA box. We also have a, a community supported fishery that distributes here and we have the, um, the herd share that comes on a weekly basis and distributes milk. And so we're supporting those, those farmers, those small scale farmers uh, profoundly in terms of offering um, a good distribution spot. That's wonderful. So maybe when we come back from our next break, I would love for you to talk more about Three Stone Hearth and also the local foods wheel. And before we go, I'd love to share a quote from your book. And you say, all too often, modern Americans are like oversized infants when it comes to food. We are used to having it provided for us. We are like baby birds in nest with our mouths wide open, squawking for more. But we never grow up into the mama bird that goes and hunts and finds food and provides. We never learn how to feed ourselves because it is so easy and culturally supported not to. People who cook on a daily basis and who like to prepare food from scratch are considered either foodies or health nuts. Cooking is not seen as a universal skill of self-sufficiency and adulthood, like driving a car. We are surprised when someone doesn't know how to drive a car, but we are not at all surprised when someone doesn't know how to cook. Large corporations are more than happy to keep us in this state of helplessness. It creates a huge market for factory processed products and fast food. This is from Full Moon Feast, Food and the Hunger for Connection by Jessica Prentice. Jessica Prentice is a professional chef, author, local foods activist, and social entrepreneur. And you can connect with Jessica and sign up on her mailing list and get updates on threestonehearth.com. That's T-H-R-E-E-S-T-O-N-E. H-E-A-R-T-H dot com, threestonehearth.com, as well as her website, which is www.localfoodswheel.com. And you can connect with Three Stone Hearth on Facebook. And we will be right back with Jessica Prentice after these messages. that you were born to experience revolutionary wellness? Have you wondered why extraordinary physical, mental, and emotional health has eluded you? Do you know that your infinite personal power resides right here in the present moment? People all over the world are awakening to their birthright, revolutionary wellness. Introducing the Experience Revolutionary Wellness Coaching Program. Log on today to begin your journey into the mystery and join our virtual village. The world, now more than ever, needs you to feel revolutionarily well. 
Explore and integrate new ways of being. Learn to access your own unique treasure, the wisdom that is right there inside you, waiting to be revealed. Experience a renewed, vivid, and nourishing relationship with yourself and the world around you. When you experience revolutionary wellness, you will be the change you wish to see in the world. Log on to experiencerevolutionarywellness.com today and join Rochelle on an adventure into your own unique journey toward revolutionary wellness. You're listening to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Rochelle is an internationally known meditation teacher, clinician of mind and body medicine, lifestyle change, and self-healing. She's an author, speaker, and creator of Experience Revolutionary Wellness Virtual Village. If you would like to reach Rochelle, send an email to Rochelle at experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. Again, that's Rochelle at experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. Now back to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. On the Mead Moon, may we all honor the great mystery of life. May we be open to magic and be humble enough to admit that there are things that we do not fully understand and never will. May we seek out thin places and open our hearts to the divine. May we acknowledge that there is more to life than our moralistic notions of right and wrong. May we recognize the great incarnate life force and the uncontrollable chaotic eruption of nature that pulses within each and every one of us and in every culture and religious tradition. This is from Full Moon Feast, Food and the Hunger for Connection by Jessica Prentice. You can connect with Jessica and sign up on our mailing list and get updates at threestonehearth.com and at her website, localfoodswheel.com. Jessica, I would love for you to share about Three Stone Hearth and the Local Foods Wheel. But before that, if you wouldn't mind, because you you um, integrate the moon so beautifully in your book. Of course, it's in the title, Full Moon Feast. If you could speak to that first a bit, how that came about, how you made this gorgeous connection between, um, you know, the mythology and the moon and the rhythms and um, feasting and nourishing ourselves. Sure. Um so as I was writing these, you know, starting to write these new moon newsletters, it, I don't know how the, the whole idea of the moon names came to me, but it just, it, it was a very natural fit for writing something instead of on a monthly basis, on a monthly basis, on a moon basis. And, um, and then the more that I looked at these moon names, the more that I read about them, the more I realized, oh, all these moon names, so many of them have to do with food because, of course, the people who came up with moon names were living in much more direct connection to nature and their food system was seasonal, you know, was was changing constantly. And so these moon names were almost always referring to something that was changing in their food system you know, something that was available that hadn't been available before, you know, or something that was ripening, something that was being planted or harvested or, or whatever. And so it, it just became sort of a perfect um, form to, to hold together the writing, to, to base it, you know, to, to, to have it revolve around these moon names. And also the, you know, I mean, then the, the sort of the feminine aspect of the moon and 
you know, it, it called that in and, you know, um, yeah, so it just, it worked on a lot of levels and because I was trying to weave together so many different threads in the book, it really helped to have a strong structure that, um, you know, that was sort of recognizable that you could kind of move through the year with. So it kind of, it provided some, um, sort of a skeleton around which I could dive into all these different things I wanted to talk about. That was beautiful. And Jessica, you have created an incredible service to humanity. Like you mentioned, the oasis that is Three Stone Hearth. And in fact, I have a Three Stone Hearth nettle kombucha with me, (laughs) a little sip, a little bit of it here with me on my desk. It's so delicious. All the food that you make through Three Stone Hearth is so amazing and delicious and nourishing. Can you talk about Three Stone Hearth? And would you consider your work also, um, I know you've mentioned this actually as a practice of sacred activism, so you don't need to go into that, but I'd love to hear about Three Stone Hearth. Absolutely. I mean, the first thing to say about both Three Stone Hearth and the local foods wheel is that both of these are collective endeavors. So, um, I am a part of, I'm a co-creator of these things. Um, and with the local foods wheel, I have two co-creators, um, Maggie and Sarah, who, um, one of whom does the beautiful illustrations on the local foods wheel, the other of whom does the beautiful, um, layout of that work. And so that's something that the three of us have been doing for 10 years, creating these dials that show you seasonal foods, for different parts of the country, we've made five of them. So that uh, on that website, you will get um, if you if you sign up there, you get uh, connected with us and announcements about new wheels, etc. And you can also just sort of explore that website. So that's very much a co-creation. And then Three Stone Hearth is a much bigger project. It is my full-time job. And again, uh, it was I co-created it with four um, fellow co-founders. And uh, the five of us worked for a year to put together the business plan. Uh, We started the business in June of 2006, so we've just celebrated 10 years this year. And three of the five of us are still with the business full-time and deeply involved in it. And meanwhile, it's grown and expanded, and we are a worker cooperative. We now have 19 worker owners and, you know, about a, about 20 or so employees. And we all come together every day to try to, 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 <laughs> to build this oasis. Um, and it's, um, it's a fascinating journey. It's been a fascinating journey and it continues to be a fascinating journey on every level because I feel like the book Full Moon Feast sort of, so the, the book came out right at the same time that the business started. So those mm-hmm. things really coincided. So the, the, the book was sort of my, my approach, my philosophy, my thinking, my feeling, and my personal journey around food. Mm-hmm. But the next thing that I felt called to do was to somehow apply all this to an actual organization, an actual business um, that would try to reflect these values, uh, will try to, to manifest these values in terms of a real lived experience, which of course is what I was witnessing when I was, when I was learning about these traditional cultures is these weren't uh, philosophies. <laughs> these were mm-hmm. how people lived mm-hmm. day to day. These were, this was, you know, cu- culture was, um, 
was being created every moment by doing. And the food system was being created every moment by doing. And it was always done in, the, in, in a group. It was never, you know, there was space for solitude and individual endeavors and individualism. But it was done in community. These were communities that Weston Price was studying. And actually, when I teach about the Weston Price work, I, I call my talk The Nourished Community. Because to me, it's not about nourished individuals. It's about nourished communities. And so I kind of, you know, got myself to the point where I could sort of figure out, okay, this is how I can nourish myself. And that was a huge accomplishment for me because I hadn't uh, been nourished for so long. But um, I don't think that it's enough for us each to be on our own individual paths and get there. We have to somehow figure out how to organize ourselves into you know, I use the word institution for lack of a better word, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, whether it's a, you know, a, a co-housing community or some kind of intentional community or a business or a nonprofit or whatever it is that we're actually spending our days, our time, our energy, our life energy in a shared endeavor of healing and transformation. Mm-hmm. And so that's... Um, so that's what Three Stone Hearth was about. So on a very practical level, uh, the idea behind it was to use the wisdom of traditional diets, use the nourishing traditions um, approach, um, but to prepare foods on a community scale to, um, to, to support and to help people who have a hard time doing it on a home scale, which... I actually feel like is pretty impractical within our current economy. It's pretty mm-hmm. impractical to do all this stuff on a home scale. Mm-hmm. As I was sort of talking about before, you can kind of pick and choose and do a few things. You know, you might want to brew some kombucha. You might want to, you know, get into something. Um, mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. great. But we live in very small households and the, the economy puts such a huge amount of pressure on us that we can't realistically expect ourselves to do all this stuff from scratch every day. Yes. It's, it's just not going to happen. And so... Um, and, and actually traditional people didn't either because they were organized in villages that, you know, some people were the hunters, some people were the gatherers, or some people the, were the fisher people, some people uh, were the bakers um, and candlestick makers, whatever. Like, it, it wasn't everybody has to do everything for themselves. It, yeah. was, it was organized in a way that met group needs. And so, um, so what we're trying to do here is make these foods, um, bone broths, soups and stews, sauerkrauts, kombuchas, uh, and more, granolas. We, we have a whole long list of things that we make, and we pack them in returnable mason jars. People order them online. Most of our food is pre-ordered, um, and then come and pick up. Uh, the food, which they, they're, they're actually paying a deposit on the mason jar. So they're paying for the mason jar separate from the food that's in it. And then they wash those jars out. They bring them back. We sterilize them and we reuse them over and over again. So, there's, so it, it's also creating this cycle of return and this deeper relationship with our, you know, quote unquote customers, the people that, that buy from us. So, mm-hmm. uh, and then we also, during pickup hours, we do some delivery. We do a good deal of delivery. And then during pickup hours, um, we also run a brick and mortar store, so we offer these products and we also offer, we also have built networks with other local producers and we offer things that we don't make, but that other people locally make that we feel like are a great, 
uh, way to round out our offerings. So mm. that's basically what we're doing. <laughs> it's so amazing and so inspiring. Do you? So the local foods wheel. I know you. Those are national, I believe. And I was curious if uh, you know of other programs that are like Three Stone Hearth that are um, either around the world or uh, in other areas of the United States. Uh, yeah, such a good question. I mean, there's definitely people that are doing uh, similar types of things, um, okay. some of whom we've worked with, you know, directly and supported sort of more directly. Some some people have come through and like apprenticed with us or done, um, we, we actually ran a little school for a while. People have done that and then they've gone, gone and started businesses. Most of them are just taking on one portion, one subset of everything that we're doing and they're much smaller enterprises. They're doing either just soups and broths or sauerkrauts and kombuchas, something like that, mm-hmm. which is all great. They're, but they're more doing sort of an artisanal mm-hmm. um, kind of business rather than trying to be a community-supported kitchen where we're, we're really trying to, to mm-hmm. provide people with, um, in many cases, sort of, a, um, sort of some ballast to their, to their home cooking, you know, to, yeah. to give them lots of elements that can really support them to cook at home. And, and, and I think this is one of the things when you read the quote at the beginning about the big babies that I thought about, mm-hmm. which is that, you know, I, I worried a lot when we started this business that we were sort of playing into this convenience and we were con- keeping people big babies that we were, <laughs> you know, contributing to that. And, um, but my intuition was that that wouldn't be the case. And that's really been my experience that um, actually what we do is we empower and encourage and facilitate people to eat at home more rather than to eat factory produced or fast food, uh, which are their other alternatives, because we make it easier, because you have, you know, a um, Tex-Mex ground beef in a jar that then you can build tacos around, you know, you need to get tortillas and do those other things. But like, the hardest part is kind of already there, you just have to warm that up. And um, you know, you have a soup, but then you might make a, you know, a salad to go with it. And we've got a dressing to make that easier. So yeah. It's, I, I feel like it's been supportive and encouraging. And in fact, a lot of people will eat our food for a while and be like, okay, now I can do this. Now that mm-hmm. it's like part of my, you know, now that broth is part of my daily routine, I'm going to try making my own broth. And we're mm-hmm. um, always happy for that and, and encourage that. We don't want people to be dependent on us. We want to uh, support people. And yes. yeah. So, so in terms of the national question, um, there have been some, uh, definitely some, uh, some people that are doing similar types of things. And there's a few that are, there's one in Portland and there's one in Boulder that are um, the closest to what we're doing. Mm-hmm. But, but nobody on this, nobody's doing it on the same scale. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's been, um, you know, so much of my focus over the past few years is to figure out what the, the structural pieces and parts are that make this replicable that make this sustainable and yes. it always feels like we're at some we're, we're on some big learning curve in terms of that and that there's always more to learn and um you know I want to do a book about three stone hearth we've we're, we've I've got a proposal drafted but it always feels like there's something like some major breakthrough that we're in the midst of that um at some point we just have to like write the book and then yeah. uh, you know because it's never completely figured out 
Yes. Well, my guest today has been professional chef, author, local foods activist, and social entrepreneur, Jessica Prentice. And I would love to leave you with a final prayer from Full Moon Feast. You say, so there is no reason to despair. There is only the opportunity to participate in creation, to participate as fully as we are able. That we shall die one day is a certainty. So the question is only, how shall we live? How present can we be? How courageous, how trusting, how loving, how thoughtful, how forgiving. And so my final prayer is for each of you and for me too, that we may find within our hearts the faith, hope, and love to live ourselves into a world where action is balanced by relationship and vision is balanced by tradition. May each of us have the opportunity to make the contribution to the world that we have been called to make. May each of us give the gift that we came here to bear and may these gifts feed the hunger for connection that is such an enduring part of the human condition so that we may have that delicious experience of being, at least for a moment, well-fed. This is from Jessica Prentice's book, Full Moon Feast, Food and the Hunger for Connections, Connection. And you can find out more about everything at threestonehearth.com. Jessica, thank you so much for being with us today on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio and for being your and for your pioneering work in working to restructure our broken relationship to food and for nourishing our communities with extraordinary food grown locally by extraordinary people. It has been such a pleasure to have you here to inspire us all to recognize that we are an integral part of a whole and that the food we choose to eat matters profoundly and that every bite we take has the potential to change the world. Thank you so much, Jessica. Thank you. And to all of my listeners, you will want to join me next week right here as we will explore how you can cultivate personal sovereignty, agency, and authentic personal power by fulfilling the vision of your heart and soul. It will be an empowering conversation with founder of New Human Living, Les Jensen. You won't want to miss our conversation. And please connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, my website, or anywhere else that you can as I would love to stay in touch with you. And I deeply, I am deeply grateful to have this opportunity to be with here, be here with you all on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Thank you for joining me on this journey. Until next time, I'm Rochelle McLaughlin. May you be well. Thank you for opening your heart and mind to a new way of being, to greater degrees of self-compassion and wellness, and your experience of your own infinite potential with Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Join host Rochelle next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time to turn courageously toward your own unique experience of health and wellness here on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember, you too can experience revolutionary wellness. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. 
visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 